Would you pray with me? God, you're our hope. You are our, our only hope. And so God, we just acknowledge that we put our trust in you, that, that we trust in you to be stronger than our sin and our rebellion. God, we trust in you to be stronger than our weakness. God, we trust in you to be kinder and more merciful than we can imagine. God, we, we trust in you and your, the work of your son on the cross, God, to save us and to clean us, to make us sons and daughters. God, we trust in you to do everything that you've promised. And God, I pray as we look at your word, I'm, I'm praying that you would do a work in our heart. We, we trust that you're able and we trust that you're willing. We're asking that you would do a work in our heart that our hearts would be able to hear what you would say to us through your word today. God, I'm also trusting in you that you would help me to teach. Um, God, I, we all need our help and we're placing our trust in you and you alone. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Well, everyone, I wanna start off by saying I, I'm really grateful that you were here today as we go through July and all the vacations. I'm, I'm, every time you show up here, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, I'll be honest, sometimes at 10 minutes before church starts, I'm like, dude, it's gonna be 10 of us today and I'm all sweating and then y'all start coming in and just thank you for showing up. Um, I know that's a weird way to start this. Let me tell you two things I wanna announce before I get into the, into the sermon. It's in your bulletin if you got that as you came in, but uh, there's two things that we're getting ready to start on uh, starting this Tuesday and also uh, starting in August. As we've been doing this series on prayer, one of the questions I've been asking in the background, I haven't said it with all of you out loud here, but, but the reason we've been doing a series on prayer is this, we, we want to see God work. Like, I want to see God work. I want to see him work in my, in my heart. I want to see him work in, in our church. I want to see him work in this city. I, I want to see something that is only explained by God showing up and, and doing a work. And, and as I've been going through that and thinking about prayer and how God listens to us and how he engages us, one of the questions I've been asking is, so, so what does that look like for us as a church practically? Like, like if we're not careful, we'll do this series on prayer and it may change the way we pray pray privately, but it should change something about us as a church, right? Like, like more than just when we gather and there's a few moments of prayer on Sunday morning, like when do we really gather together and, and beg God to work? Like when do we actually fall on our knees and fall on our faces and say, God, we want you to work in our midst. We want to work in our city. When do we actually do that? And I've been wrestling through different times and ways to do it. Um, and so here's what we're going to try. Uh, for the next six weeks, we're going to try something a little different. And we're going to keep trying until we figure out a thing that works for us. But Tuesday at lunch breaks. Tuesday from noon to 1230. I know some of you might not be able to make it there, but from Tuesday from 12 to 1230 for the next six weeks, we're going to meet here in this room. It's not going to be fancy. No, no bells, no whistles. We're just going to gather together. Uh, I'm probably going to lay out for you what our Sunday sermon is going to look like. And then we're going to pray and we're going to pray for God to work in our church. We're going to pray for him to work through us in our city. That's what we're going to do. So we're going to try that for 30 minutes. I'll try to keep it to 30 minutes so we can get back to work if you're on your lunch break. So for the next six weeks, every Tuesday, starting this Tuesday, we're going to be gathering here trying to spend some time in prayer, asking God to work. And let's just see what he does. Uh, the other thing that we're going to be doing is this. One of the things I've been saying we want God to do is actually help us reach the city. We want to make an impact in this city for the gospel. And so uh, I do want us to pray, but there's also some work that we got to do in connection with prayer. 
And so uh, one of the things we're going to be starting, uh, I had this plan before COVID hit and then COVID hit and uh, I punted it until now. It's a thing called a mission think tank. I've never done this before, but we're going to gather together and we're going to meet to brainstorm ways for us to try to reach our city. Now, now listen, I'm going to introduce that class August 4th on Wednesday night at 615 in this room. It is not going to be a six week class. So I'm going to introduce it that Wednesday night. If you want to know more, you're going to have to show up. Okay. You're going to show up Wednesday at 615 or you have to grab me after I teach the class and let me give you a rundown of it. Um, But we're going to get together to brainstorm and actually take action on the ideas that we brainstorm. Okay. So mission think tank will be August 4th, uh, Wednesday night, 615. We'll meet in here. I'll tell you what that's going to look like. So the two things that are going on, prayer on Tuesdays, and then in a week and a half on Wednesday night, August 4th, we'll be doing an introduction to the mission think tank. All right. So if you want to know more about that, listen, I'm I'm, I'm baiting the hook. I'm trying to, I don't know if I even reeled you in at all, but that's what I'm trying to do right now. Okay. Um, So that's what's going on. So let me jump back into our series on prayer. Now, now we've been spending time in prayer and we've been in Matthew chapter six, mainly focused on, on the Lord's prayer and his model prayer that he gave to us. Let me, let me read it to you in Matthew chapter six, verse nine through 13. Here's what he says. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Like that's what we've been going through. So we, we've learned that we come to God in relationship, that he's our father. We see that we come to him in worship, that, that he's holy, that he's the king. We come to him with longing that we're saying, God, we, we want your kingdom to come. We want you to show up here and fix everything. We come to him with our needs. That's when it says, give us this day our daily bread. And, and, and then we come to him with the gospel and forgiveness. That we're saying, we, we need you to forgive us. We need you to help us forgive other people. And then this week, we wrap up this uh, Lord's Prayer part of this series in verse 13, where it says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen, as I look at that verse, verse 13, initially I thought this was going to be the easiest sermon to preach for me of the whole series of prayer. Uh, But it hasn't been the easiest thing for me to study this week. As I got into it, I kind of got hung up a little. And and here's why I got hung up. Let me just say, let me me read this. It says this, uh, and lead us not into temptation. Let me just hit pause right there. Uh, While that may seem clear, I started asking myself this question, What is it that I'm asking God not to lead me into there? Like at first glance, I think it's, it seems like it's saying, God, please don't lead me into temptation to sin. That'd be my first glance. But I started asking myself a couple questions there. And now I'm sorry, you're about to get, I'm about to let you into the chaos of my brain. Okay, the, the torment that goes on inside this noggin of mine. That's why I'm bald. I think like this. You need to know that, okay? So I start going, wait a second. Like, it, am I asking God not to lead me into temptation because he might lead me into temptation to sin? That, that makes me a little nervous. Like if one of the things that God is doing is he's leading us into this temptation where I'm getting Lord to sin. Is that something that God is behind that, that he's, 
He's out there putting me in compromising situations. Would that make anyone else nervous if God was about that? Because listen, I like it when he's on my side. I do not like the idea of God putting me in really awkward situations. Uh, awkward situations, not just because it's uncomfortable, awkward because it could cause me to sin. I, I, I don't like that. I don't, I don't like that at all. Um, there, that's a pretty serious implication or accusation about the character of God and what he's like and what he does. Okay? So I'm reading that. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'm really liking this. So I dug a little deeper into the verse. And I looked at that word temptations. And it's the Greek word pirasmon. Listen, we're just, I don't know how to say that word right. It's just a, a Greek word. Okay. And that Greek word means this. It means temptation or to entice to do evil. But it also means to test or to try. Um, so, so in other words, it would be saying this, that the word, although it might be saying, do not lead me into temptation to sin, it might be saying, God, don't lead me into trials. Don't lead me into testings. So now when I hear that, I, it sounds like the thing that I should be praying is God, make my life really easy and and simple and cushy. Don't send anything hard my way. Make it all fun and pleasurable and enjoyable. God, don't let anything hard, no suffering, no struggle, no difficulty, don't bring any of that my way. Does that sound like the way God works? Like now, now, now I'm stuck. Now, just so you know, as I'm reading this this week, now I'm really frustrated because I've got the meaning of this word. It either says, God, don't lead me into temptation to sin, which says something about God, or, or God, don't bring anything hard my way. Don't lead me down any difficult, hard paths. Both of those ideas are a struggle. Both of those seem contrary to who God is and what he does. If I'm just honest, like, like I'm looking at saying, am I really supposed to say, God, make, make everything easy? Like, I, I just did not like where I was at with this. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to flip over to James chapter one, because I think in James chapter one, we're going to see something that happens here that I think is going to help explain what's going on in Matthew chapter six. So flipping your Bibles to James chapter one. Okay, now you're going to see more of my struggle here because this word, this Greek word that means trials or testing or temptation, that Greek word is all over James chapter one. Let me, let me show you the first spot I find it in James chapter one. James chapter one, verse two says this, count it all joy. Listen, consider it a really awesome thing. Be happy about it when this happens to you. When what happens? When you meet, now you can underline this word, trials, of various kinds. You know what that word trials is? Same word in Matthew chapter six. The same thing that, I, that Jesus is saying, God, don't lead me into temptation or to trials. James says, count it all joy when you experience all sorts of different types of trials. Now listen, I, I read that and I'm saying, well, maybe James didn't know the Lord's prayer. That seems insane to me. He's saying I should be happy when I experience it. But Jesus says, God, don't let me experience it. What's going on here? Remember I said my brain is a scary, scary place. Well, listen, why does James say that's a good thing? Like, why would James say this is a joy? Look at verses three and four. Because here's what's happening. Four. Count it all joy when you meet various trials. Four. Or because you know 
that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. Like, listen, James saying, listen, when you experience trials, all sorts of different types of trials, you count it joy because you know that God is doing a work that makes you steadfast. It gives you endurance. It makes you steady and solid. Verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, that, that you can be mature, lacking in nothing. Here's what James just said. Count it joy when you experience these trials, these testing, because God's doing a work in you. He's, he's making you stronger and steadfast. And that steadfastness will cause you to be mature. It's going to cause you to, to grow up fully into knowing and looking like Jesus. So, so clearly James says that this is what, this is how God grows us, is through trials. First Peter says it this way. First Peter chapter one, verses six and seven says this. In this you rejoice, be happy about this. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Same exact word in Matthew 6, same exact word in James chapter 1. Like, be happy about this, even though this has been hard. Verse 7, why? Why am I happy about this? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, those tested by the fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so here's, what, here's what Peter's saying. Here's what James is saying. All throughout the New Testament, you see this that God uses trials and those trials are tests. They refine us. They strengthen our faith. They build our character. They make you steadfast. They give you endurance. They draw you and bring you to maturity. A life without trials is a life of immaturity. So now I go back to Matthew chapter six. Why in the world would Jesus say, don't lead me into trials. That's how I grow. See my confusion? Yes, no, maybe? Okay, good. Uh, you're probably wondering, man, I really hope you answer this. Uh, so do I. Okay, James chapter 1, he keeps going though. Verse 12, still in James chapter 1. He says this, blessed is the man, happy is the man who remains steadfast under, and you guess the word, trial. Same word in Matthew chapter six. So now James is, he's saying it again. Be really happy when you remain steadfast because look, man, for when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God's promised to those who love him. God's going to reward you for enduring trials. Then he pivots in verse 13. Watch this pivot. And he's not stupid here. It's logical sense in his brain. Let no one say when he's tempted, do you know what that word tempted is? Same word in Matthew chapter 6. Same word in James 1 verses 2. Same word in James 1 12. Same word in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted, same word, by God. He, for God cannot be tempted, same word, with evil. And he himself tempts, same word, no one. Let me tell you what James just did. He said, listen, you count it joy when you experience these, these trials because God's doing a work. I mean, it's going to make you steadfast. 
But do not say when you're tempted, same word, that God's the one that tempts you. God doesn't do that. He doesn't tempt you. He's not tempted to do evil. And he doesn't tempt other people to do evil. So, so what in the world is going on with this idea that James is saying and with this prayer of Jesus? He, here's, here's where I think I had to get in order for me to really understand this. Because I'm, I, I got stuck. I started chewing on it and wrestling with James chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 6 and the other passages. He, here's what I think is happening. That word, testing, is a very neutral word. It's neutral. It's not always negative. It just means there's trials and testing. It can mean enticed to evil, but for the most part, it's neutral. And I think what James is saying and what Jesus would agree with is that all of life, this is key to understanding it, all of life, everything in life is a trial, is a test, is refining, and... All of life is full of temptations to sin. All of it. Everything that you experience, the good, the bad, the awesome and the terrible, all of those things, they're trials that hammer out your maturity and at the same time, they're temptations that draw us to sin. All of it. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. I mean that everything... These tests in both hardship and prosperity, there's tests. So here's what happens. God is sending tests my way to grow me and strengthen my faith. So in the midst of hardship and suffering, it tests my faith to really trust God, right? Have you seen that? When it gets really, really hard, like I'm talking like it is, you are in the grind and you feel like you're being crushed and broken and hammered. You're being stretched and pushed to your limits. God is doing this work where he's, He's testing and trying my faith and he's going to make it like pure gold. But all the junk and the brokenness has to come to the surface for him to scrape it off. That's what he's doing in all of life. And hardship, it's testing my faith to get me to the point where I trust God more. You've probably seen this. My wife and I have talked about this. When we first had kids and you had baby number one, you remember the fire that happens in your life when that first child shows up on the scene? I mean, it, it feels like fire. Maybe y'all don't think that way. Maybe for you, it was all joys and laughs. Maybe you have a, a live-in nanny, and that's why it was easy for you. But for the rest of us, every 2 a.m. feeding and 4 a.m. feeding, and I guess 11, every two hours, that baby's waking up. And at this one point in your life, you were sleeping easy eight to nine hours a night. And if you only got seven hours of sleep, you were like, Oh man, it's going to be a rough day. I need extra coffee. And then this beautiful newborn baby comes into the world and he's crying and screaming for food every two hours for weeks. Right? Y'all remember that? I know it seems awesome. Like, oh, some of you are like, oh, that was so amazing. But listen, I'm telling you, we're about to go through it again. That part is terrifyingly hard. It feels like it's going to break you. And then you've got the responsibility you got to change diapers and feed this kid. And then the first time that baby's sick, you remember the fire of that storm? Like, is it an ear infection? Or is it, you go to the doctor, like, listen, this is just, that's just normal snot. Babies have snot. Go back home. And you're like, no, I need medicine. I need it now. Like, you have all the terror of a newborn baby. And there's like this fire to it. And you're stretched and you're grown. And all of a sudden, baby number two comes along. And it's still the same fire, but now you've got another kid 
running around, creating a whole nother fire, probably in the living room while you're feeding the baby, right? Like, and all of a sudden you look back after baby two and baby three, and I'll stop there because we're starting to get to a lot of kids. And you look back and you remember, you remember baby one. And you're like, man, wouldn't it be easy to have just that one little guy again? Y'all ever done that or is that just me? You're just laughing at me because I got baby five on the way and you're like, yeah, that, that ship sailed like a decade ago, bro. But like you look back on it or you look back to life before kids and you remember the things that were hard for you and they were really hard. But God has taken life and he's stretched you and he's hammered you and he's purified you. And now all of a sudden you look back at the things that used to freak you out. And now you're like, yeah, eh, I got that. Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the, the, the terror that it was with life when you bought your first home and you were thinking about mortgages and insurance and roofs and air conditioning and carpet and remodeling and all that stuff. And now, well, that's always going to be a terror, but, but it's not as stressful for you to own a home. Like God grows us. He stretches us, but it's through fire. It's, it's through fire. And the whole time your faith is being tested to shown to be gold. And you're getting put to the test. Will you trust God and let him grow you? But, but it's not just that. In the midst of that, there's also a temptation. In the midst of the trial to trust God, there's this temptation. There's a temptation to say, God, why are you making this so hard on me? Or a temptation to say, I'm going to trust myself. I don't need God to help me. I've got this. If I don't handle this, God's not going to be there. Right, so you've got this trial that, that stretches you, but in the midst of that trial, there's also temptation, right? But it's not just in difficult things. What about times of plenty, times of security, times of prosperity? That at the same time when God, things are good and easy and God is showering you with blessing, that there's actual testing that's happening to you, right? There's a testing. Will, will you remember God? Will you praise God? Will, will, will you trust him? And in the midst of that trial, that test, that, that exposure of your faith, there's also a temptation. Will I love this security more than God? Will I love the ease more than God? Will I love the stuff more than God? Will I turn this prosperity into an idol? Like in the midst of everything in life, we're experiencing in the hard and in the good, God is testing our faith. He's refining our faith and he's stretching us. And at the same time, in the good and the bad, we're walking through temptation everywhere. Temptation to trust ourselves. Temptation to idolize other things. Temptation to put him on the back burner. Just a million different temptations. And that's not even all the other temptations that walk around with every billboard you see and every interaction you have. Like we're, we're bombarded with temptation. So when James is saying count it joy because you're, you're going to meet all these trials and he pivots to temptation, those things are all connected to James. They're connected in this Greek word. They're connected in the New Testament. You will face trials and in all of those trials, there's temptation. Why? Why is there temptation in all trials? James answers that. James chapter one, verse 14, the very next verse where he just said, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
Here's what he says. So how does it happen? Verse 14. But each person is tempted. Here's how I'm tempted. Here's how I'm tried. When he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Look, it's like, like he's saying, listen, it's, there's something in you. You're lured and enticed. Those are actually Greek fishing terms. Like it's, it's how you lure the fish in. I, I stink at fishing. I try it. I stink. But here's one thing that I know. I know that if, uh, well, I don't know this because I'm all, here's what I'm told by people who are good at fishing. You get the right lure, you get the right bait with the right location, and the fish are going to come after it. Why? Because there's something in them that is enticed, that wants, that longs for that bait that's in front of it. It, it draws it, and that fish doesn't know about the hook or doesn't care about the hook. It sees the worm, and it bites it, and then the result is the hook is in its mouth. That's what it says in verse 15. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Here, here's the picture that it's painting. All of life surrounded by us is there's all this bait around us. And the only reason it's actually bait is because something in me wants it. Let me help explain it this way. If, if you want to catch a Fiaz, I'm just going to use me as an example because I stink at hunting and I stink at fishing, so I've got no other illustration. If you want to catch me in a trap, Okay, you do the old Bugs Bunny. You got the big old box and the stick and the rope and you say, I got to catch Fias. I don't know why he's in my backyard, but he's there. And you take a plate and on that plate you put tofu and you slide it in that box and you go and wait. I guarantee you, I promise you, unless I'm starving to death on a desert island, I'm never going to grab that plate of tofu. Do you know why? I'm a man. I'm a full grown man and I don't, I'm not eating no stinking tofu. It's like Diet Coke. <laughs> Too much. I know the Diet Coke people are all mad at me now. No, it's tofu. I mean, I don't go to Moe's and I don't get tofu in my burrito. I get chicken or steak. Like I don't do, I don't do no tofu. I don't go to a barbecue place and say, you got any tofu? I don't do that. I'm never, never, I would rather eat grass and dirt then try to sustain myself on tofu, whatever that is. I don't even know what it is. I just don't want it. I don't like it. I just, sorry, that's not even part. I just don't want tofu. You will never catch me because nothing in me wants tofu. But bro, you put a plate with a cheeseburger and french fries on there. You put barbecue, like good barbecue. And you're going to have a whole lot of fires is running in that box. You're going to be yanking all day long. You're going to be pulling fires out of the box. Because you know what's, what that means? There's something in me that wants what's on that plate. There's something in me. Some, some, some appetite, some craving. It's the way I'm wired that I want the cheeseburger, the french fries, and the barbecue. Okay? I don't want the tofu. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, you're going through life. And if you didn't have the appetite for the for the bait that is dangling all around us, it would not be a temptation to you. You will never catch me with a hook and a worm. You won't. You will catch me with barbecue. And that's what it means. Listen, it doesn't mean that all the temptation is possible. My heart wants it. Our hearts are, are miswired. There's something still dysfunctional in us, and that's why we still need Jesus to work. But in us, every single one of us, young and old, there's something in us wired that wants things we ought not to want. So you're going through the goodness of life, 
And then all of a sudden there's this desire in you. It sees the bait dangling over there. Bait to idolize that money and that security or whatever it is. And, and your, your desires make you bite into that hook. Not that hook. We, we got to hear this. It's my desires. I'm going through the difficulties of life. And they're hard and they're difficult and I'm struggling. There's a desire in me. There's a trap that's set because of the desire in me that doesn't want to trust God, that doesn't want to depend on him, that wants to do it all by myself. Listen, the reason temptation is strong is because my appetite is strong. It's my appetites. So here's what James just said. All of life is a trial and a test. And all of it comes with temptation because of something in us. Do you see that? Have you seen that with you? Like there's something in you that it doesn't matter how many, how many times you bite that hook. And no matter how many times it hooks into your mouth and you're miserable. You're miserable with that hook in your mouth. It's painful and it hurts. We go after another one. And another one. And another one, and another one. We get wrapped up more and more and more. It, it can be a million different things. It, it can be the bait of gossip. It can be the bait of lust. It can be the bait of greed. It can be the, the, the bait of just complete independence. I don't need you. I'm completely self-sufficient. There's tons of bait out there. But so we, we keep biting it. You, you ever seen that in your marriage? It's like, it's like, man, that, that, that partner, my marriage partner, man, they drive me crazy. And if we're not careful, I'll blame them all day long. Well, if she wouldn't do this, then I wouldn't do that. Right? And somehow I keep biting that hook over and over and over again. And it's not because of the bait. It's because of my heart. So let me, let me tie this back to what I think Jesus is, is saying in Matthew chapter 6. With that in mind, let me, let me come back to Matthew chapter 6 when he says, and lead us not into temptation. Well, what do I think that this is? I, I believe that this is a prayer of absolute humility. This is a prayer that's sitting there saying, God, I'm not invincible. I'm I'm not. I'm not invincible. Like I'm not sitting here going, bring it. I got this. You bring all the trials. I will, I got this. I'm not doing that. I'm saying, God, I, I know that what you're doing is you're leading me into trials. God, you're refining me and purifying me. And God, I'm asking you, would you remember my frailty in this? Like, man, I'm weak. I'm weak and I got some desires in me. They're still hanging on. I need your help. God, I need you in the midst of these trials. They turn to temptation real quick. Will you keep me from going down that path of temptation? God, you're walking me through and you're hammering me and you're purifying me. God, don't let me go sideways. Don't let, don't let me go down that path. Just lead me just far enough to grow, but don't lead me more than I'm able. This, this is the prayer of... Uh, this, this is the prayer version of a promise that God makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Y'all know this one, right? If you've been in church, no temptation, I'll give you a hint. That word is Matthew chapter 6. No temptation, no testing, 
No trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. Listen, there's no thing that you're going to face that someone else has not faced. It's, you're not being singled out by God to be picked on. There's no temptation that is overtaking. It's not common to man. And then look at this. God is faithful. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted, tried, tested beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Listen, God makes this promise to us that he's not going to lead us into temptation that we cannot handle. He's not going to test us more than we're able to bear. He'll always make a way out. He'll always provide rescue. That's his promise. And this is a prayer version of this. God, just as you're doing this, don't forget about me. I need help. I, I, don't, I don't got this. I need you to have this. I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to protect me. I need you to keep me on the right path. I need your help. It's similar to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember this when he said, uh, Father, if it's possible, you can do this. Would you let this cup pass over me? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, see what Jesus is saying there? God, you're, you're about to take me through the fire. I'm about to get sin and all of it. All of it. Like Jesus stood up to Satan in the wilderness, and he wasn't like, can we, can we skip that? But, but when he got to the cross, when he take my sin and your sin, when he had to endure that suffering and that separation from God, when he got there, he said, okay, God, you're about to take me through some fire and it's, it's going to be rough. Don't lead me down the path. If, if you can help me, if we can do some other way. I trust you. I want to do what you want, but just don't take me too far down that path, right? You, you see that? It's, it's Jesus praying Lord, don't lead me into temptation. God, when the fire comes, don't make it more than I can handle. Now, lucky for us, Jesus could handle it all. He handled all of it. I want you to hear this. There's good news in this. The good news is that on our behalf, Jesus went through all the fires to the end of the fire. He bore all of it. He bore the brunt of all God's wrath. He bore the filth of all my sin. Like he took all of my shame and my brokenness. He endured all of it, all of it for me. And him enduring it, him conquering it, gets credited to my account when I place my trust in Jesus. That's crazy good news. Like today, as you, as you hear this, I, I want you to hear a couple things. One of the things I want you to hear is, listen, Jesus handled all of it for you. There should be a, a worship that wells up in us. That, God, I'm so, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you would bear all of the curse. You'd bear all of the sin. It's a moment of worship. But, but it's also this. Because he doesn't just say, don't leave me in temptation. Look at what it says here at the end of verse 13 of Matthew 6. But deliver us from evil. God, it's not just keep me out of temptation. If I fall, when I fall, and it starts getting wrapped up in me, and then I keep falling and it gets wrapped up, God, I need you to rescue me out of it. It's not as if God is sitting there saying, listen, I'll help you not get into sin, but if you're stupid, you get yourself into it, you're on your own getting yourself out. No, that's not what he says to us. 
There's a promise in this saying, listen, I need you to help keep me out of temptation, but when I fall, I need you to rescue me out of sin. That's what we believe the gospel is. There is no sin too great for God to yank you out of it. None. Do you really believe that? I need you to think about your worst parts. I need you to think about that relative that is wrapped up in the worst things you can possibly imagine. You believe Jesus can rescue him or her? You believe he can rescue you from all that dysfunction that's in you? The good news is he can rescue us from every single sin. It doesn't matter how much sin you've wrapped yourself in. He's more gracious and he's more merciful and he's stronger than all the cords of sin that tie me up. And he's willing to patiently unravel all of those things. I I watched a video one time. Uh, This guy found a hawk that was wrapped up in a bunch of fishing line. And uh, have y'all, any of y'all seen this video? It was in a lake. No, maybe. And this dude, I don't know how long it took him. I can't remember. But he's just, he's gently, it's crazy to me. No gloves. He's messing with this hawk. He's pulling a knife out, cutting all the string off. But he's just, he's patiently, he's not mad at the hawk. He's not saying, you moron. You don't know, how, you don't know fishing line? This is why you should be extinct. Because you're too stupid to know fishing line. He's not doing that. He's not saying, stupid hawk. He's like, man, poor hawk. I, I got to help this thing. And, and that hawk at times, I don't think it nicked him any. It was shocking. It wasn't like going at him. It was just sitting there like, all right. And this dude's taking it off his neck. He's, he's patiently snipping one cord at a time. And then there's this moment he gets it all off and that hawk can go and fly and be free. Listen, you need to remember, God is this gentle, patient surgeon. It's not just he wants to keep us out of the fishing line. When we are wrapped up in it, and we are, all of us, we're wrapped up in it, he's going to gently and patiently and gently cut one cord at a time until we can fly again. Guys, that's, that's good news. That God is on your side to keep you out of temptation, and he's on your side to rescue you from sin when you fall in temptation. That's what this prayer is. That's that's the end. In all of life, as you're facing all the trials, and all those trials bring temptations with them, he's there patiently being by our side. So what does this mean for us when it comes to prayer? Let me give you a few points. One, pray for endurance. There's that God would give you endurance for the tests and trials of life, that, that you would actually grow in steadfastness and endurance. It's saying, God, as you're leading me through difficulty and you're, all this has come away, give me endurance. Strengthen me in this. Pray for God to defeat temptation. Pray to keep it away or to get you out or to rescue you, but pray for God to defeat temptation. Listen, when you're struggling with temptation, you, one of your go-to tools needs to be prayer. You need to beg God to help you. Like it doesn't always seem that way. You may need to run while you're praying, but you need to pray and ask God to help you because the thing that you're fighting is inside of you, not outside of you. And you can run all you want at some point, but it's still in there. And even though you may run away from that moment, that heart is still going to want it and you need him to do work in you. You need him to untie you and untangle you. You also need to pray to be rescued from sin. So church, I want to give us a moment of just kind of quiet response. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and you're going to spend some time with God and I want to ask you a few questions right there in your seat. My first question is this. 
What is the temptation or the sin that you're wrestling with today? Is there one that's wrapping you up? Is there one that feels like it's always calling you and luring you? Listen, right there in your seat, I want you to actually ask God to help you get out of that temptation. Or maybe you're just wrapped up in sin and you, you see, you've seen no hope. It's hidden in the darkness and no one knows it and you don't want anyone to know it. But you don't see a way out of it. Listen, if that's you today, I want to tell you about the power of Jesus. He went to a cross to die for all of our sin, to pay the price for all of it, all the shame you feel, all the guilt you feel, every sin that's hidden, every sin that's gross, every sin that brings you just this awful feeling like you can't even look people in the eye because you're less than them. Listen, he, he paid the full price for that. He died on the cross. But the good news is that he didn't just die on the cross. He came back to life three days later. He came back to life. Listen, when he came back to life, he defeated sin and death. If God can bring a man back from the dead, he can free you from sin. If he can bring a man back from the dead, he can free you from lust and greed and envy. He can free, free you from grumbling and gossip. He can free you. You just need to ask him. Say, Father, will you forgive me and will you free me? Will you adopt me and make you your son? And the Bible says if you place your trust in him, he'll save you. But it also says, not only will he save you and give you a new heart and adopt you as sons and daughters, it's saying he will keep working on you throughout your whole life and he'll finish the work. Listen, if you've never placed your trust in Jesus today, I want to encourage you to do that right there in your seat. For some of you, you're wrapped up in sin and you, and you need that good news that I just shared. But for others of you, you've placed your trust in Jesus, but you, you're still finding yourself tangled in this web of just really frustrating sin. It's like it sticks to you. You can't get it off. Listen, would you ask him to rescue you from evil? Ask him to rescue you. I want to encourage you if you're part of this church family and you find yourself wrapped up in sin, don't try to save yourself and free yourself by yourself. You need the people next to you to help. So if you're wrapped up in sin and you're asking Jesus to help, one of the gifts that he's giving you is not just a new heart and a new spirit, but he's giving you a church family. And we want to help you throw down on sin. I want to encourage you to either come and speak to one of us pastors or um, to talk to one of your friends in small group to connect and help you do war with that sin. Don't, don't go at it alone. In a moment, we're going to sing a song of response. And during that time, it's our invitation. If you need to do business with God, you can do that in your seat. Or you can come down to these altars and pray. If you need to speak to a pastor or decision counselor, we'll be down front kind of watching over. We would love to talk to you about anything God's doing in your heart. Let me pray for us before we end that time. Heavenly Father, God, I'm glad you're patient. 
but I'm also glad that you're willing to be on our side to keep us out of temptation and to help us get rescued when we fall to temptation. God, I pray we'd be a church, God, that we'd run to you when we're tempted and we'd run to you when we fall. God, help us to bear one another's burdens. Help us to be a people that fight sin with the gospel and with love. God, I pray you'd work in our midst. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.